Hello and welcome to Spiritual Shit, your guide to the down and dirty of modern spirituality. This podcast is a place for people wanting to discover more about spirituality, where we can get weird about ghosts, mediumship, aliens, psychics, religion, new age, awakening, ascension, starseeds, channeling, holistic health, philosophy, and even dating. Some shows will be just me rambling about my mystical experiences and discoveries, while other shows will have guests to open up new perspectives and views. I hope you'll join me on this journey as we discuss and open up what spirituality in today's modern world really looks like. Remember to like and subscribe to never miss an episode and hit me up at thelovelyleah.com or at thelovelyleah on Instagram so we can connect. Become a Patreon supporter to get access to behind the scenes of our guests, freebies, early access to new episodes, discounts on merch, and more. Hello and welcome to another week of spiritual shit. I'm your host, Aaliyah Lovely, and I am watching the world look like it's crumbling under our feet. And if you feel that way this week, you are not alone. Uh, I just want to, I mean, I've obviously got started out the gate here. We're not wasting time on this show anymore. We're just going to get to it. But um, it's a, it's a scary time. It feels scary. And it's almost as if we are bombarded in the news every five goddamn minutes with a new right being taken away or a new tragedy. It is uh, a difficult time for a lot of us. So if you are feeling scared, uh, I'm going to do a teeny message for you before we get into our interview that, um, it is my belief that this is the work we came here for and that all of the crud that you're seeing kind of seep from, uh, under the surface is not the world getting worse. It is just us cleaning out what is, has always been and what's always been there. And if we'd like things to shift and change and transition, we need to quite literally clean out the swamp. And I know that phrase was used for something else. I'm going to use it for this. And uh, our world is in need of those who will not spiritually bypass, but will hold a vibration of I'm here and I'm present and I am going to look at this with full eyes and see what's real uh, and what's not and how can I help? How can I be someone who is going to make a difference? And so um, that may look very different for a lot of us. Some of us that means activists, uh, protesting. Some of us are great writers and or singers and art makers. And some of us are having conversations at the round table with politicians and others of us are having conversations over the dinner table. And in any way that you can, or that you know how to just come back to center to your heart, what you know is right. And, uh, connect from a place of love everywhere you go, any way you can, and do your best to not live from a place of fear. Because I think that there may be some people that would really like that. We are not as effective as light workers or energy beacons or whatever if we're scared. Be empowered by the human that you are and all the power that comes with that. Don't look for the stars for the assistance. 
while it may be there, you are a very powerful person yourself. And I think that that's something that we're all trying to figure out is how powerful are we and to not be afraid of that. So that's my little snippet, my soapbox today. <laughs> um, but today we are talking to Asher Frost and uh, this is how I'm going to do intros now because I got tired of reading the bios and stuff and I thought this just lacks soul for me. Um, but Asher Frost was such a joy to talk to and just such an amazing spirit with so much love in her voice. You'll hear it. And we confront head on some very challenging topics, particularly when it comes to supporting indigenous creators and indigenous people in general from uh, all of the spiritual practices that we benefit from in the world. And so we talk very closely about what it looks like to appropriate versus appreciate. And what does it mean to elevate voices who um, have ancient knowledge, uh, indigenous knowledge that um, we may find other people using for capitalistic gain? And so we really get into that. But for those of you who heard that and thought, oh, but this episode's not for me, this is the work we need to do because especially after the solstice, Mother Earth is just tired of the bullshit. She's tired and we don't want to be in a space no longer where we are ignoring where our spirituality comes from and being able to lift up those who have given us access and reconnection to the earth, reconnection to our spirit, reconnection uh, to the cosmos. It is, it is so important and a huge important process of us being able to acknowledge where those things come from if we want to have better connection to them. So we really get into that today. She's talented. She has a book that's out that's You Are the Medicine, and it's a beautiful book, and I've read a good chunk of it, and it's it's a very healing book to look at and with a lot of knowledge, so graciously given. Um, so after listening to this interview, I hope that you go over to Patreon and check out um, our after episode at patreon.com slash lovely Aaliyah, because uh, we get in to talk about ceremony and, you know, just her knowledge as a medicine woman, but also as a content creator is a really important one. And I think that just moving forward for you to vet out who you're, who you're listening to, how you're supporting them, um, because our connection to our spirituality is not just something that we found on YouTube. You know, it's stuff that we're, we're getting knowledge from those who came before us, who took the time and had had that kind of connection that we maybe could give a little bit more appreciation to. So with that, I would like to do a land acknowledgement uh, of where I live. And I'm really thankful they brought that into mystery school um, because I live on Kaw and Kickapoo land. And I just would like to acknowledge my indigenous ancestors that came before me. You should check that out and look and see what land you're living on and who would be really beautiful of you to acknowledge and honor and support uh, in your practice. So anyway, with that, I would like to bring you the lovely Asher Frost. Hello and welcome to another episode of Spiritual Shit. I'm your host, Aaliyah Lovely. And today we have the lovely Asher Frost, who is an indigenous medicine woman and a bringer of so much knowledge to breaking the way in which we've been able to kind of view our spiritual world these days. So say hey to everybody. Mm, it's so nice to be here. Thanks for having me. 
Thank you so much for being here. I am really excited because you have this beautiful book. Um, you are the medicine 13 moons of indigenous wisdom, ancestral connection and animal spirit guidance. And I think that first of all, it's a wonderful and beautiful book. I was able to re read part of it and got to see, I love the little exercises and things and how you've been able to integrate your own personal story into it. I think it's going to bring a lot of value to the world. Mm -hmm. um, but before we get into that, I would love to hear your story and kind of, you know, your background, how you got into the space to be able to come into your wisdom as an indigenous medicine woman, particularly in a world that has essentially co-opted that. Mm, yeah, it's been quite a journey. Um, it started really, I mean, it started from, you know, when my soul was, I guess, birthed here, but then I, there was so much that was taken from, from my lineage, from my grandparents. They were in residential school. Um, assimilation was just such a big, I mean, that was safety, right? So there's a lot of assimilation in my direct lineage. And um, it wasn't something, I mean, I grew up in a space where my mother was, um, she held space for spirit. She held space for our teachings, but it wasn't directly passed down in that way because we lived in a really white neighborhood um, that we were trying to assimilate into. So it wasn't until I got sick. I got sick when I was 17. I was diagnosed with lupus. And then when I went off to university, that's when I got really sick and I needed to find a way back to myself. And pharmaceutical medication just wasn't working for me. So I needed to find another way. And this whole time my ancestors were calling to me, they were asking for me to return to what I knew for my own self. Um, but I wasn't really listening as a teenager. I was like, I don't know, this isn't really that important until I got sick. And then as soon as I heard that call, it was like this huge journey opened up like, Oh my gosh, I, I need to return back to my bone and my blood knowing and my what's in my DNA. I could feel that calling from within. It really felt like a calling from within, helping me to return to those teachings and that knowledge that was always there. It was just, yeah. it just needed a space to unfold. So that was, you know, I was 17 and then it sort of just, it just kind of opened up this path of my learning and my, my own sort of medicine started to develop from there. And then as I practiced that in the world with others, I became a homeopath, um, other medicines started to open up. So it really has evolved kind of beautifully. Sometimes I feel bad saying that because I know people are like, I'm searching for my sole purpose and I can't find it and I, I feel so lost. And for my path, it really just, it just unfolded. Yeah. So can you tell us a little bit about what, what your indigenous culture is and I would love for you to also touch on how indigenous people are not a monolith. Yes. So I'm Anishinaabe and my ancestors are from what is now known as Ontario. So on both of my, um, both of my lineages are from different first nations. And I think a lot of people have this conception that, um, or this perception that, um, all indigenous First Nations or tribes, I think in the US, that's what that's what we call them as tribes here, it's First Nations, that we all practice the same traditions, we all eat the same foods, we all have the same culture. And that's just not true. Every First Nation, because we live on different lands, the land informs us so deeply. We have a different experiences. So First Nations on the West Coast, you might see beautiful artwork like totem poles and um, you know these beautiful orca drawings, but we don't have orcas here and we don't have mm -hmm. totem poles here because those trees aren't here in our landscape. So what I tend to find is people just sort of plant these, like all indigenous people use totem poles, all indigenous people do these types of ceremonies and that's just not true. We're each like our own little country, mm -hmm. truly. And there's so much diversity across Turtle Island 
island in all indigenous um, First Nations and tribes. So that's a really important thing as well as how we feel about about our medicines being shared, about how we walk um, in a good way. That means something different to all Indigenous people, I think. Mm -hmm. So, and getting clear on those things, I think is a challenge because we've been so colonized and oppressed that oftentimes um, coming home to that truth within ourselves can be a really, like a lifelong journey. Yeah, yeah. Something that I know as a woman of color is, especially living in the U.S. and Western world, that it, it's been difficult to own my color, like growing up. And I went to a predominantly white school as well, um, have, um, you know, just like parts of my own heritage I can't even identify because of the slave trade. You know, there's just other areas of my own background that have been lost and there's this part of you, I, I listened to another interview that you had where you talked about like, you know, assimilation was key. Um, some assimilation was survival. And so we have lost lots of our cultural medicine that has given us and informed our, like you said, informed our blood, informed our, our person about how we are to heal and move forward in the world. And uh, I would like to talk or, or hear a little bit more about how that happened in your own family, because I, th I think it's important for people who don't have necessarily those types of ancestral roots to understand what it, the amount of self-denial it takes in order to try to fit in a society that says you are invisible or you don't matter. You should be more like us. Hmm. Yes. Well, if you know the narrative, I mean, even when I was growing up, you know, you'd hear like dirty Indian, you'd hear like all Indians are alcoholics. Like there was, there was, there's this all these biases and stereotypes and it's racist like there's so much racism still to this day and that's what i took in as a child like i'd hear these things and think oh this is not a good thing to be indigenous like why mm -hmm. would i want to do that if there's all these biases and stereotypes about our people so that was just like this this just i don't know pervasive thing that was always around and for my grandparents um you know that christianity and the colonization aspect was so huge like they still to this day my grandmother's still alive loves the church you know is so connected to those teachings and it makes that part makes me so sad because i think oh my goodness like when we could have been smudging or doing drum circle or fire instead we're going to church i mean there's nothing wrong with church but it does it, that disconnect is just so deep yeah. And that happens so, it almost happens so insidiously, I guess. So for my grandparents, the loss of language to me is like so sad. My grandfather only spoke Ojibwe going to residential school and that was just beaten out of them. They were not allowed to do that. Their their intention was to beat the Indian, to, to take the Indian from the child, actually to beat the Indian out of the child. Mm -hmm. And they did that with so many children. And if you think you take love away from the child, what, what impact that has on generations? Because... Yeah that is just, it's going to impact, it's going to impact so much. And I think that that's what we're seeing now when people say, get over it, get over it. That damage was done and it's, it's in our blood and it's yeah. in the way our families are woven. So, um, yeah, that, I think that assimilation piece, it can happen sort of in a very shocking traumatic way like that, but then the generations to come to reclaim those parts, we don't feel worthy of that. Mm -hmm. Because there's that shame that's still there. Like, who am I to reclaim my language? Who am I to reclaim these medicines? People have told us this is bad. Our grandparents wouldn't, didn't even want to do that, right? Mm -hmm. So it takes a lot of courage, um, especially when we're seeing other people who are non-Indigenous. Um, and, and to be honest, mostly white, co-opting and taking those practices with ease. 
that's the hardest thing. Yeah. Cause somehow in this, this effort to assimilate, there is, um, a connection to entitlement that shows up. And, you know, those of you who are listening, I know this is a hard topic for you to hear. And I want you with, with every heart of your being, this is the work that we need to do as spiritual people to understand where the practices and the things that we're doing are coming from and what we feel entitled to as a, as a result. Um, if you can talk a little bit about what that looks like, because I know like for there's, there's a difference between appropriation and appreciation. Um, but to give a little story, I went to, uh, Bali to do some more, my own self-help healing, did a eat, pray, love kind of situation. And when I got there, I found it so bizarre to me that I was like, why is it that all the places that we're going and all the things that we're doing and all the healing practices that we're, we're, you know, participating in do not include the people who are from this Island. Like I'm going there to talk to people who are from LA and from New York and from, you know, like this place and that place. And I'm going, where are the Balinese people at? Where are the ceremonies I can participate in and pay for, um, their knowledge, their wisdom. Isn't that, isn't that why I'm here? Um, when I went into Ubud and to see like, it's, it's nice to go into different places and see that like, oh, they have coconut milk and you know, like certain things that I've become accustomed to, but there was this, like this feeling for me, there was this feeling of lack of soul almost. Um, we went to this thing called an ecstatic dance, which was super fun and amazing and wonderful. And like, you're, you're, you know, dancing to music. It's basically like a DJ in the middle of the day. And I, I love that, but there would be at times where they were playing native American type music or Arabic music or whatever, which again, I enjoy, I love that kind of music. We're dancing and stuff, but I saw people showing up in, um, you know, little decals and stuff on their mm-hmm. face and prints and like tribal you know, something on their arm and little feather dresses and, you know, feather headdresses and whatnot. And I was like, something about this don't feel good to me. <laughs> it doesn't feel right. And, and, and watching that. And I was like, I know that a lot of these people don't feel like they're doing anything malicious, but it made me feel deeply uncomfortable. Cause I was like, that's not yours. And you may not, not, not even like, that's not yours. Like everybody should be able to have what they should have, but there was no credit given to those who have come up with those practices. There was no acknowledgement of what those things actually were for. Instead, it was a costume and it was something to dress up in. It was something to look cute and tick on your Instagram. And I'm going to Tulum in June and Tulum has got a lot of that similar energy. You know, we're, we're doing this and this is what we look like. And we're doing the moon circles and whatnot. And that's, that's wonderful. But those who have cultivated those practices, the, the ancients and those who are coming from those indigenous backgrounds aren't getting any money for any of those things. And so if you can speak to that about, uh, about that a little bit, I'd love to hear your perspective on that. That's such a big topic. I think entitlement is something that um, is something that we all need to reflect on because we all, I mean, I have a lot of privilege as an indigenous woman here living in Turtle Island. And I, that's why I try to do this work too. I'm doing this work with everyone. Um, to really, to really see that, but the entitlement shows up a lot, and I, even entitlement to, um, 
you know, I show up in a lot of these interviews or in spaces and the entitlement to energy, to education, to um, the amount of questions I get when now, thank goodness I have a book now because I can literally just say, read my read book. My book. <laughs> um, but even that is like such a hard thing. People just don't really want to do the work and they just feel entitled to all of it. So it's a really, it's a really important thing to be conscious of. And you're right, that taking um, it does damage like for me and I wrote about this in the book like it will cause shaking in my physical body It will cause me to feel like I can't breathe It will cause me to feel like my joints start to ache my lymph nodes start to hurt like it actually is like a visceral physical reaction to some of those um, Those harmful ways and I know people don't intend to do that. They're not intending to cause harm we just have to acknowledge, yes, there's no money being exchanged. There's no acknowledgement for who these practices are coming from. You're taking these from a marginalized group who will never see the benefit of any of this, right? There's no reciprocity. I think mm. reciprocity is so important in this day and age with what we're exchanging. Because I believe Indigenous people inherently are very, are very giving people and very generous people. Um, the sad part is, is that's been taken advantage of and um, so much has been stolen. So entitlement is such a such a huge practice or a huge thing to think about. And um, even in spaces, you know, I can see how for so long I've been in business for 20 years and I've just watched all these white women rising and rising on stages and getting all the followers and having these huge platforms. And I've hustled just as hard and I can see how it just shows up in these worlds that um, when you feel entitled to take up space, to take up people's time, to take others' medicines, to just say like, I have the right to do this, then of course, you know, you just effortlessly have all of this abundance sort of come your way. And people aren't aware that, you know, as an Indigenous person, I'm one of the only um, authors at Hay House that's Indigenous. I think there's four now. Mm. And the number of um, Indigenous people that are published, I think it's like, it's, somebody gave me a stat, it was like 1.8% of the publishing oh, world are yeah. Indigenous folks. And um, these things matter. These things matter. And we need to care about these things. And um, yeah, there's so many there's so many issues around the taking, especially wearing headdresses on Instagram. Like social media has become such a such a harmful place in that way, where it's just like I'm going to take that, I'm going to wear it for my own benefit, or I'm going to make money off of this, and that just causes so much harm to to Indigenous people. So everything that you just described, that would probably cause me to shake if I was in the presence of that. Mm -hmm. I think that it's it's really interesting because like what's what is the what, in your opinion, I, ha I have my own opinion about this, but like, what's your opinion about the difference between appreciation and appropriation? Hmm. Oh, and for me, sometimes it's such a feeling thing. Like, again, I, I can notice when somebody and a lot of my students, they don't appropriate, they know. So I think it's knowing the whole history, um, caring about the people, like actually having those reciprocal practices, I think are really important. If you buy a dream catcher and you speak to the artist or you know where it's from and you you do some ceremony or honoring with it, that's very different than um, taking it to use it for your next Instagram reel or something, right? Like mm -hmm. I think there's a reverence and respect that's huge. Um, speaking to the people that obviously you're, you're buying these things from. And I think just, um, yeah, that reciprocity, giving back, giving back to the communities that you're taking these things from are, is so vital. So yeah, I'd love to hear your thoughts about that. Yeah, well, okay. So when it comes in terms of, of spirituality, so there are, there are some people who are very black and white and think that, okay, well, if you're white, you shouldn't smudge. 
Mm-hmm. And I, I don't think that that's the case for myself. Um, and I think that if you are, if that is something a practice that you feel you would enjoy, um, then you need to look at and really understand what smudging is. You need to understand, um, if you are buying sage to buy it from a local or someone who is, is being, uh, ethically, uh, or ethically, um, sourcing it. Um, there's also, uh, other ways in which you can smudge. You don't need sage. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. if you can look and see how that the indigenous people aren't having access to their own modalities and their own needs, um, materials, because everybody else is buying it up, that kind of thing. Um, being the cognizant, like you said, the reverence of being able to say, this is something that I've done a lot of research into, to utilize, not to look a certain way, but to appreciate someone. And like, you know, like we know, I, I know exactly what you're talking about. Cause I know when I look and I'm like, mm-hmm, yeah, uh, like, you know, so those of you who can't watch the, the interview, um, Ash has got this beautiful jacket on and would you call it a jacket or would you call it? A it's like a shawl. Tail? It's like a shawl. Oh. Yeah. Um, it's gorgeous. And I'm like, I would cop that, you know, <laughs> not cop, but you know, like that's that idea of like, sorry, that's like black slang. Um, <laughs> that I would love to wear that. And, but I would love to buy it from a maker, someone who's made it from an indigenous community to make sure that they get the money for that. And that I'm able to tell the story with that. And that's not what we see is like when you find a dream catcher at home goods, you know, like don't buy that shit because <laughs> we know it's not going to the communities who are, are providing those. Um, the same way, like when we think about jewelry, you've got some beautiful turquoise jewelry on, um, buy it from the makers, find out the story, find out what it means, what the, especially those of us who are trying to be intentional and conscious about what it is that we're using in our spiritual practices that we look at that and go, okay, if I'm going to use this for energy or spirituality that like, yes, we are all a people, like we are all a human race. And in that way, there's there's, there's no difference here, but because we are humans and because the world is the way that it is, it's super important that we're not overlooking, uh, the reasons why we, we need that thing, you know? Yes. And what you say about smudging is so, I mean, I cover that in the book a lot about, um, because now I just read an article yesterday about, because for the longest time, sage was, was pretty abundant and, and okay. And, um, but now it's starting to be really over harvested and there's a lack of resource. And that is really, really scary for indigenous people whose original medicine is sage. Mm -hmm. And it's because it's because of, um, that lack of reverence. I have heard that people are just tearing the roots out of the ground. They're not, they're not even harvesting it properly. They're just Mm -hmm. taking without even any care to like what that really means and the harm that does. So I, I am the same. I believe the same as I think that if, if you have a calling to that plant medicine, it's calling you and have a relationship with it. It's a spirit. Mm -hmm. So I don't, I'm not black and white about that where I think like non-indigenous people can't smudge or they don't have animal medicine or animal spirits. I, I've experienced folks who do. So for me, it's just not my experience that that's the truth um, for other people to understand why they think that is but yes it's just how are you going to in- intentionally use this intentions are so important mm-hmm. um, and not just to yeah not just to kind of like sometimes I feel entitlement just stomps through some of that stomps on people takes up more space than really <laughs> is fair and just um, even stomps over some of that reverence so that's that's something that I notice a lot yeah there there's something so interesting about the dynamic in spirituality um, when when we talk about monetary exchange mm-hmm. and how I, I know as a person of color and I'm also a Cher- registered Cherokee Native American, but I have no connection really family wise to that culturally. 
And so in this world, I'm black, you know, I'm a light-skinned black girl and that's it. And so when trying to reach into that, you know, I have no connection to the language and I have no connection to the traditions. You know, my grandfather, again, assimilate, assimilate, assimilate. You look black also on top of that. So it's like, you know, you don't need to add um, insult to injury as far as the world goes. So that, that amount of disconnect that happens with us, cult- myself culturally, there is some internal though, because of that assimilation, not feeling okay about asking for money when it comes to those spiritual services, because we've spent a lot of time pushing it down and saying, this is not the way it's the Christian way or, you know, whatever. Um, I'm sure that I have a lot of different, you know, Ethiopian, Nigerian, Ghana, Ghanese, you know, like traditions and things like that have come through my blood, but have said, oh, this is voodoo, or this is, I mean, voodoo is a good thing, but like, there's something negative with this particular association. Did you have any challenges with coming into your own and saying like, these are the religious practice, not religious, but these are the spiritual practices that I would like to honor within myself. Did you have any pushback from your family? Did you have any areas in which you were like, I can't charge for this because you know, like whatever other kind of, you know, stigmas that came along with that. All of it. And, and, and yes, it's been (laughs) such a, that has been one of the biggest edges of growth for me. Um, because we are, I mean, traditionally we are not allowed to charge for ceremony or our offerings or our medicine. And I've gone through so much healing around this because, um, I watched these incredible medicine people who healed cancer, like just healed people and they couldn't even buy themselves shoes or they couldn't even put gas in their car. And I thought there's something wrong with this. And when I really reflect, or like I've meditated and journeyed with it so long, I really think that that belief comes from the church. I think that. Uh, missionaries came in and said, you know, these medicines are are bad and you should be ashamed of them. And there's some sort of, there's something there, some sort of wounding there around charging because why can Indigenous people be be abundant? Why can't mm-hmm. we have our needs met? Um, there's something very colonial about that perspective, I think, that we are now playing out with each other in this mm-hmm. lateral violent way um, of like, oh, who do they think they are? And now they're, you know, they have a, I don't know, they have a roof over their head, truly. Like, that's mm-hmm. what it is, right? And I stand for all healers to be abundant, um, to have reciprocity, to give back. Like I, I, that's my biggest, one of my biggest values is giving back to my community. And also I need my needs met too. I'm very, I've come to the place where I know that now. And yes, pushback from my community, that lateral violence in indigenous communities, because there's still so much trauma that, oh, we need to just look at is just so big. So there's been many things that when I started doing this online, and sharing teachings online, people don't like that, right? They just don't like that. But then to them, I'd say, would you rather have me share it or a white woman share it? Because white women are sharing it out here everywhere. Mm -hmm. So who, where does, whose voice should be sharing this? Mm -hmm. And that's the stand I've had to take and take up more space. But as I said, it's been 20 years and only now do I have a stage and I'm like, oh my goodness, now I can share and speak and the tides are turning a little bit, I think. Mm where there's a little bit more space for my voice, but it's been, um, it's, it's still to this day, um, that is a belief that Indigenous people should not receive any money for for their ceremony and their healing. And you're not a real true healer if you do. Yeah. And I can't survive on tobacco offerings. Listen, so. like, okay, that, that one, that's the thing that gets me. I start getting upset about <laughs> <laughs> because this, this idea that if you are a healer or if you have some kind of spiritual gift that you're not supposed to charge for it. And it's so funny because my, my parents are religious and they, it's weird. My dad is very psychic, very psychic. 
like uh, he sees things. We see the same ghosts, like the whole bit. And he said, even though my mom is like, not totally not really okay with what it is that I do for a living. He said, well, I think it's great that you have these things, but you shouldn't be charging money for them. And I'm like, why the hell not? Why the hell not? Like, what else am I going to do? I'm going to be using my energy for these things to help the world. And then I, what I have to also have a nine to five job. Why not spend all the time doing this thing, you know, that's supposed to be super healing. And I know that, especially in the black communities that like you had mentioned something in one of the interviews that you'd have these like seven figure businesses or whatever, and then they wouldn't want to pay you. Mm -hmm. And it had very little to do with what they could afford and more to do with the value that they saw, um, that you brought to the table or whether or not that they saw that, that felt like something, that was deserving. We're so used to underpaying people of color. And so used to saying, you should give that to us for free. It is that entitlement that shows up and that it's not a, it's not a conscious thing for a lot of people. It's just that, like you said uh, something about like, you know, you feel entitled to my land, you feel entitled to my services, you feel entitled to my information and my education and, and, you know, bitch pay me, you know, like <laughs> you didn't say that. I said that. <laughs> Um, I need that, you to say that for me, <laughs> bitch, pay me. Okay. You know, um, it's important. And I know that some people, a lot of people will feel challenged by this message, but it's important for the reason that it's gone for far too long, far too long, where we have elevated voices that don't, it's not, it's not that, that people of non-color, <laughs> That's it's such a sorry. I shouldn't even say people of color. That's like we're the majority, basically. Um, everybody's of color mostly, but it's not that those who are not indigenous to this particular land cannot have something to teach. It's just that there, and it, it's the practice in which you've learned it, right? I know that there are people that are like, oh, I, I decided to start reading cards. We'll say that, okay? We started reading cards this year, and now I'm charging two hundred and fifty dollars per reading. Great, um, but then you start incorporating certain cultural practices and, and utilizing cultural tools. And now you've presented yourself in this photo shoot as this cultural person and you're getting now interviews and people are showing up and now you're getting ready to write this book and you have no connection to the medicine that you're essentially being able to promote. It is the crux of capitalism. <laughs> Right. It is. Oh my gosh. And as you say that, that's, it's even in releasing this book, it's so interesting because, you know, I've been like, even like hustling to grow my platform for all of these years. And I have a really big community in person here. So I'm so grateful for that. Um, and I see in the book world, in the book industry, in the publishing industry, you have a big platform and you just, you just get tons of deals. So then you have all of this privilege and you get all of this money and you get all of this everything. And um, whiteness just, again, takes up so much space. And I'm so grateful for having this opportunity. And I know I've earned it and I know I deserve it. Like I'm here at that place now to say that. And sometimes it's hard to look out there and think that person's been doing this for two years and they just blasted their platform out there um, by taking some of our, our ceremonies and traditions. And now they have all of the entitlement and all of the money. And mm -hmm. Um, you know, it's, it's, it just can be a hard pill to swallow, I guess at times. Yeah. That's super challenging. And, um, you know, I want to ask the question for those who are un unknowingly doing this, how can they be better at being able to elevate those voices of the, the information that they have? 
um, before you answer that, like I didn't have the platform I had until George Floyd died. Mm -hmm. So I had had a podcast for clean year before that I'd always obviously be doing other types of work and stuff like that, but I didn't have the, the shift until that thing happened. And suddenly there's this, we need to give black creators a voice and we need to start elevating black voices and we need to blah, blah, blah. And so super, super thankful for that because in that, in the wake of that, that is when like I, I doubled my following. I was able, my podcast has really picked up. It's because I did a podcast that said, um, it was, it was very controversial about racism, basically controversial. It was just very truthful, to be honest. Uh, I said the things that a lot of people were afraid to say. And so in that me speaking my truth at the right time, because before speaking it in that time, it'd be like, Oh, no, we don't want to hear it. Um, a lot of things changed for me. And I thought, Oh, wow. Finally, I have a voice. Finally, I have that, that amount of uh, position, but as the circumstances in the world changed and people started getting tired of talking about racism and it's like, because you can like, I don't, I can't get tired. I mean, I'm super tired of talking about it, but like, yo, this is my life. Um, then I noticed that any, any episodes that I have done that face that particular thing had about half the listenership, just clean gone. Like, Oh, not interested in that. Oh, that's the topic that might challenge me. Um, you know, Oh, that was not titled the way I thought it should have been. And now I'm triggered. <sighs> and I felt, and my feelings were hurt. Cause I'm like, I'm a black creator. And the episode that affects me the most, the areas in which I'm, I'm hurting the most, you don't want to hear. You want to come here and listen to episode after episode, week after week, I'm giving content. I'm spending 40 hours per week doing this for free. And, and you don't want to be informed about the things that are super painful about my experience or about our experience. And so in that, I watched that very closely and thought, Hmm, there's, there's still so much work to be done in the spiritual sector. It's one thing if you're not spiritual and you're not trying to get the most out of this experience and you're not thinking we're all one, but don't stand there and say, we're all one and then shoot under the rug. When it comes time for acknowledgement of those who have come before you, who are, who are trying to do what they can to survive this particular experience. And so how can people who are, are, you know, cause there is an honest I know that there is an honest way in which a lot of spiritual creators are trying to come in the world and just do what they're doing naturally, right? Like anybody, the way anybody would start a business, they're coming in and going, well, I'm kind of good at this. This is great. People are giving me validation here. Um, they're saying I'm good at that. Oh, they're liking what I'm talking about. This is great. These are things that I quote unquote like. And so I've incorporated those things into my practice. And so it's, it's this kind of weird slope <laughs> snowball effect that happens where white people are, are like, this is just what I've been used to. Like they don't, they don't know some people very much know, but a lot of people don't know. So for those who don't, and who are like genuinely like shit, I didn't realize <laughs> I was messing up here. I was stepping on some toes. What are ways in which they can help incorporate or help elevate voices that have become invisible in the ways in which they've been practicing? First of all, I just want to acknowledge your story of that because I just feel that. And I just want to say, I'm so sorry. That's the way it went. Um, and it's so, that is just, we just, I want to make space for that. Cause I think that's so important to really hear that, that your audience even hears you speak that because that's a truth. And it is the truth. I think, um, once that died down, once those black squares die down, mm -hmm. it was like, 
um, is anybody doing this work anymore? And right. even I watched that because I thought, oh my goodness, because I was like, you know, with with all like marching and doing all that, like mm-hmm. I wanted to be such a beautiful ally and like a um, in sisterhood with that and in siblinghood with that. Um, and then I, I watched it just go down and I just, I, I just felt so heartbroken almost like mm. I, cause I felt a bit of hope too. Like, oh, maybe, yeah. maybe this is going to be seen and maybe this is going to be heard. And the same thing happened when all the children were, um, uncovered or discovered here in Canada, like, mm. um, all the residential school, it's, they're still uncovering them. You know, there was like a big, oh my goodness, we need to change. It lasted, the narrative lasted maybe two months mm-hmm. last year. Um, and then all of a sudden I'm like, the things I've been talking about for the last three years on social media you actually care about but then it just everybody just goes back to sleep and all of the creators end up just being like well I did my thing and now I'm safe so it's okay I can go on and like make myself I don't want to be canceled so right so I just I want to acknowledge that because it's a very important story that you shared and it happens to so many I believe Um, and I'm glad that it grew your platform for you because you deserve that too right (laughs) um so I think that what I feel is um, we have to be able to give up some comfort. I think that's like a huge thing. And I think that so many are not willing to do that. And that's what breaks my heart mm-hmm. is I think like, um, I know that if I stayed on, didn't talk about the challenging topics that I, I probably could make more money. I probably could do all these things. I know that if I didn't invest so much into helping my communities, things would be so different. Like mm-hmm. I just, I feel like, we have to give up some of our privilege and our comfort. And I just, I so I, that's the first question I'd ask yourself. Are you willing to do that? Are you willing to give up some of your platform? Are you willing to give up your money? Are you willing to give up some of your own comfort? Um, or are you wanting to stay in your entitlement and, and just be like, nope, I don't have to do that because I've never had to do that. And it's not uncomfortable for me. And um, I can just ignore and close my eyes to that. Um, the other thing I think is, and I see this, you know, there are so many people when I did this launch that actually stepped in and said and just offered their support. I didn't have to ask because as a person of color, it's so hard to ask. I yeah. think like we have to practice it. And also like we're not always met with a yes, we haven't right. been. So I think then there's some wounding there at times. So I think like ask how you can help, <laughs> like ask how you can help those who maybe are launching something into the world and sharing others voices is so vital and important i don't think we can rise if you're rising on your own without helping others to rise that's a very lonely place to be i think yeah like that community piece is everything that's how we're gonna create more healing in this world is to see if you talk about oneness are you practicing oneness yeah who who is involved in your oneness who's involved in that circle or are you Mm -hmm. just inviting those who look like you and who act like you Um, And we hear this, right? This is what all the educators teach us. But from Mm -hmm. a practical point, that when when folks share my medicine um, from an Indigenous perspective, they uplift my voice, especially when we have big platforms, it it means everything to me. And it really does help me serve my own communities. You are helping Indigenous communities because Indigenous folks will give back to their communities with the money that they make. And so will Black folks. I know this. Mm -hmm. We are reciprocal beings just naturally in our blood. So those are the things that come up for the top of my head. But um, that story that you just told, I feel like I want to play that for everyone because it's really <laughs> important. Thank you. Um, you're so right about that reciprocal piece, like that element of wanting to give back to your community. I found in my own, just, you know, having this platform, having a show that recently, like, you know, we get 20 inquiries a day about, you know, people asking to be on the show. And I find that that's interesting because I don't think in my head, I don't think my show is that big, 
<laughs> and I'm like, oh, you know, like enough, enough people are listening to who are supposed to hear it, supposed to hear it. But there's this part of me um, in the last year that has been very cognizant or like I've been watching it happen that most of the creators who will ask to be on are white. But I, I found that what's been hard for me to consider is when I, when I'm watching those come in and who I'm reading about or whatever, I'm thinking, is this a voice that needs to be elevated? And that's, that's a very honest statement for me to say out loud, <laughs> given the, the, the future of my show. Um, but because it has been, it's been so important for those, like, I don't get a lot of yeses to be on other people's shows. And I see that and I like, you know, like, you know, you know what that's like, you know, my first few book deals or like trying to get a book deal where no's rejections, which is fine. Other people also experience that, but I, I started looking at the, the metrics and I started seeing like, I'm in the process of writing a book as well. Hey, being a Hey House Arthur is also a dream of mine. Oh, I, uh, I saw that. that you said that. <laughs> um, and, and seeing in that and going, you know, it's really, it's really hard for me to one, ask for help, put myself out there, um, to feel like I'll be received, to feel like I belong in certain spaces. Um, you know, I was a photographer for 20 years and I remember like, if I wore my hair a certain way that, that I would be treated differently, you know, I made sure to wear it straight when I would go to those country clubs and things like that. And I have the privilege of being light skinned. So I know that my, my experience is even different than those who are dark skinned. And so just watching that and going, okay, these, if, if I have this platform and if I have this space, I would like to give more space to those who would not have the space normally. And so finding that, like I get, I mean, PR those, for instance, look at PR PR is a very interesting industry because in order to have an, a PR agent, you got to have at least disposable income of about three grand a month on, on those, on the small end. And so to get your voice heard or to have someone to pay someone to get your voice heard, you need to have access to that kind of money and to have access to that kind of money. We don't need to go down to the trickle down of how that kind of works and how, if you're an indigenous person specifically, um, or a, you know, a person of color, if you don't have as many opportunities available, well, guess what? We might not have as much money to be able to put that in there and have those, those things be seen. And so in that space, like, it's like, it is the way the system works, right? We are in the systemic element. If, if people are, are watching that happen, they're going, well, you know, you should just work as hard as I do. <laughs> if that's the case, um, you should just, you should just, you know, there's always that kind of advice. And that's like, I don't have the same thing you have and my voice should matter as much as your voice matters. But more importantly, if I, if your voice is using things that my voice has, has known from childhood, or that has been a part of our spiritual practice or has been a part of my family's legacy. And, and I, I, we're not getting anything from that. Do you not see anything wrong with that? That's something everybody needs to ask themselves. Mm -hmm. And I know that I know the heart of the listeners that are here. Like, I know you're wonderful people and you don't mean harm. And this is a really hard conversation to look at. But like when we're talking about the medicine here, <laughs> then we need to look, we need to look beyond, look deeper into the trauma that's been, that's happened to our people and yes. give them, give them space to heal the way in which they're able to do that is being able to speak, being able to be heard, being able to be witnessed. How have you found that your healing journey has, has opened up upon you being able to be witnessed and, and essentially take up the role in which of the the information in which you're, you're, 
sorry, I feel emotional almost after saying that, (laughs) but you being in that finally getting the throne, if you will, um, into the space that you have so rightfully deserved. Yeah, I think I'm still taking it in. You know, it's, I think we're like three weeks out from my launch, from my pub date. And I think I'm still, it's like, I have to take it in little bits. Cause I don't mm-hmm. think that I've, especially after the pandemic, I don't have the capacity, like my capacity has yeah. been so low. So I think taking in little bits and actually being like, oh my goodness, I am, I have this platform and I, um, I have a stage, like a little piece on this stage, you know, mm-hmm. which is, is so beautiful. But I think there is there, again, there's so much generational, um, invisibility like even now i mean indigenous people are just just wiped right out i mean that's what they tried to do this attempted genocide of a people Mm. right and so i can feel that part of me that's like oh the invisibility is coming back you know and then it's just Mm. like i have to just it's i have to work like 10 times as hard to just keep going okay i gotta stay big i gotta take up my my space here um so it's a daily practice i think for for me in this space and i um it's so interesting. There was a point in this journey where I wondered because um, something happened, this big kind of blow up happened after I got this deal. Um, and people were asking me if I was going to walk away. And I um, I knew deep in my heart and my soul that I, I would do bigger work being in this space and taking up space as, as an Indigenous voice than I would if I walked away. Yeah. So that was like a huge turning point for my soul and for my indigenous presence to say, I know that I'm here to make a difference and make ripples um, bigger, like mm-hmm. just to be in the space. That's just, that's just, I think part of my soul's path to change, to change the systems perhaps just with my energy. Mm-hmm. So I claim that and I feel like it's still, it's still rippling out, you know, the impact yeah. of that, but it felt like a really important moment. Yeah. I could kind of see people being like, I don't know if the people are listening to this are saying that, but being like, well, they just want money or they just want, yeah, yes. Not just want money. Like we deserve money. Yes. <laughs> um, who doesn't, who doesn't need their needs met? Right. So I, I just want to confront that. If anybody's thinking like, well, this is like, you know, eh, spiritual, uh, spiritual people need their needs met and need to be able to provide for their families. And I know that for those who have suffered with poverty, as I have, as when I was a kid, um, as an adult as well. And I know that many communities that are suffering now, you cannot, it's, it's, it's almost, it's near impossible to really flourish spiritually when you don't have your basic needs met. It's just, it's just difficult to be able to think about anything else when you are in constant mode of how can I make enough money? How can I provide for my kids? How can I make sure we have clothes? How can I make sure that we have a home? We can, we, we can pay our rent when it feels even in that sense that like, how do I manifest? Let's, let's unpack the layers of manifestation. If you don't have access, what do you think about that? Oh my goodness. As you're speaking, I could just feel this. Like one of my values is that all people's needs are met. I think that's like Mm -hmm. such an important value. Like it almost brought tears to my eyes because I think that's like so important to me, which is another reason why I wanted to take up space there because I thought like, how can, and then how can I serve and like give back in that way? You know, if, if I, if things start to kind of open up a little bit more for me, Uh, manifestation, you know, it's such a, such a sticky thing because I, you know, everybody knows that meme, I think like, was it, was it that you manifested or was it your privilege? And I think (laughs) that when that came out, that was like, that's a really good boom moment where it's like, oh my goodness, right. We do not start from equitable places. We are not starting from the same place. And um, I really, I do believe in, 
like when I think about this deal and I think, okay, what did I do to manifest this? Um, I worked really freaking hard. Like mm -hmm. I know for that proposal time, like I, and I'm not saying people who don't manifest don't work hard, but I know that, um, I know it didn't just come with ease in that way. Mm -hmm. There was a part of my dedication to, um, and I think like there's a lot of, I had a lot of, I do have a lot of support. So I think like, I do have that privilege acknowledging that is huge. So I never ever want to shame or blame anybody. If it's like, this isn't coming true. I'm trying to manifest and there's nothing wrong with you. It's the systems. The systems are not set up for your success. And that is, a, it's, a, it's devastating to me that mm -hmm. our systems are not set up um, for everyone's success. That's what needs to change. And I'm here to do that. I, I, I mean, not to do that. That's a huge <laughs> thing, but like, I want to be a voice of, I want to be a voice of compassion and self-compassion to say like, this isn't your fault. Yeah. There's no blaming yourself because that doesn't get us anywhere. I don't yeah. think. Yeah. <sighs> this is such a, a thick topic and a beautiful one. Um, I want to, before we obviously go, I want to talk a little bit more about your book mm -hmm. and I want to talk about like these wonderful. So when I, I'm going through it here, it's a, first of all, I love the cover. Um, but these practices about connection and, and having people be able to relate to themselves, their ancestors, their ancestry. Um, you know, obviously we all have ancestry. We've all come from somewhere. <laughs> And so we're not saying you shouldn't use your own ancestry or in, in, in some way or another, uh, utilize ancestry of others for yourself. Um, we're talking more from the perspective of if you're trying to capitalize off of that, if you're at home smudging by yourself and you're honoring your ancestors, or whatever, great. Ain't, we don't have no problem with that. Yeah. Um, it's a different thing when you've, you've come into a space of a platform where you're not able to acknowledge the practices that you're utilizing and or teaching that you learned from YouTube or wherever, <laughs> um, and, and, and not given proper appreciation to wherever that comes from. I know that there's, um, there's a few people I've had on the show who have been, um, for instance, given Hindi names mm -hmm. have gone to India practiced with um, you know, a traditional healer there who've gone through all of the steps and all of the schooling and, and been able to, um, cultivate that knowledge and wisdom. And then they've been given a name, um, according to, you know, to what they've told me. And so to me, that's an insane amount of appreciation because they continue to direct people to those particular traditions and what it does and informing people in a very educated way. Um, that's not what we're talking about. <laughs> Um, we're talking about the other. So, uh, how do you, how would you say, you know, despite race, cut, creed, whatever, how do people find ways to connect back to their ancestry and find their original medicine? Hmm. I think that's where people get lost the most. I think first acknowledging perhaps, um, any grief that you might be carrying for not knowing. I know lots of folks say to me, like, I don't even like my ancestors, like the direct ones, you know, <laughs> So I think like that's really important is acknowledgement of any emotions you're holding there. Like, is there anger towards your lineage? Is there, um, is there any grief for like stories untold or unshared or things that you don't know? Is there grief for loss of any culture? Because I know a lot of folks tell me like, I have no idea. Like, I don't even know how to find that. Yeah. So I think that's step one is just like acknowledging that. I mean like, okay, yeah, crappy. I don't have like that connection to my, you know, my lineage. 
Um, and then journeying, which is in the book, you know, and the audible version is a little bit different because it, it'll, it'll take you into the experience versus mm -hmm. reading it. But um, I have infused in, in the journeys and in the stories, just this vibration of like, I hope this helps you to remember. And remembering can look like a dream. It can be in a vision when you do a journey. It could be um, like tears coming to your eyes. But in my experience and those I've worked with, every time somebody's lied on my healing table, that remembering happens. So I'm hoping the book is sort of like an activation of remembering for you that even if you don't know the direct story or that teaching, I had this medicine woman once tell me my teachings came down through this elder that would braid my hair at night. Like that's a possibility, right? Mm -hmm. Like open yourself up to synchronicity and possibility of ways you can learn that don't look like um, somebody writing you a postcard about your, you know, grandmothers, whatever. Like I think <laughs> there could be so many different ways of knowing and being, and that's what we believe and that's what we've experienced. So maybe in the book, use some of the journeys and ask, what's my bi biggest experience of remembering here? How can my DNA shake up a little bit? How can my blood and my waters inform my heart so that I can feel a connection to something greater than myself? Knowing that there's thousands of ancestors that did dream you here, I believe that. Um, practicing just even like doing a little intention or prayer to them, like beautiful ancestors, like join me today. Like, how does that feel for you? Do you feel warmth? Do you feel chilled? Like starting to get the visceral feeling of what they feel like around you. Knowing they're a huge support system for you, as long as you're with your angels or your animal guides, whoever else you use. Um, to me, they're like, they come in like a huge booming force that are here for protection and for visioning. Mm -hmm. We dreamed you here. You are living out what we could not. You are living out, you know, healing for us that we could not heal. There's just so much profound medicine in working with your ancestors. Mm. Um, and I want to acknowledge that if you do feel grief for that disconnection, you're not alone. You still belong. Mm. You still belong. Because I think I see us all as like people just searching for belonging. And I just yeah. think that some of these practices can help you feel a little bit of belonging. Yeah. That's so beautiful. Um, Asha, thank you so much for holding space, uh, for everyone in, in this interview, anybody listening, I know that I can feel very much. So you're a healer because in every word that you speak in vibrationally, you're delivering very hard concepts to people in such a loving way that I know that, that those who listen with an open heart will be healed by this in a lot of ways. Um, so can you please tell people where they can find you? Yes. So my website's ashafrost.com and on Instagram it's asha.frost. And if you do buy the book, I have a free ceremony, a 13 moon ceremony guide that goes along with it. If you want to do the ceremony for the moons and that's at youarethemedicinebook.com. Awesome. We're going to talk more about ceremony in the after show. So if you would like to hear that, go to patreon.com slash lovelyly and we will see you over there. If you like this episode, please send it to someone you love and we will see you in the next one. hope you enjoyed this episode. Please share it with someone you love. And if you're interested in becoming a client for energy coaching or card readings, find me at thelovelyalia.com to read more about what I do and to book your own session. And don't forget to add me on the lovely Leah on Instagram for daily content and inspiration and hang out with me on Patreon. As always, thank you for listening.